sermon is entitled Free Food and Drink. I was talking with some friends of mine the other day about uh, the subject of cruises and the pluses and minuses of taking a cruise. Of course, one of the minuses right now is you might catch COVID. Uh, but as far as the positives, I know many of you all have done cruises before, and, and I know many of you all like those. One of, the, one of the things I like the most about a cruise is uh, the free food and drink. Anytime you want something to eat or drink, you can get it. Now, of course, I know you pay for that all up front. I, I understand that. I don't know how that works. But it's something about being in the moment, wanting something to eat or something to drink, and then going and getting it and not having to pull out your wallet and pay for it. Because we all know free food and drink tastes better. I don't know why that is, but there's something about it. Free food always tastes better. As we continue our sermon series through John's Gospel, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, today Jesus offers free food and drink to the Jews. But they were not pleased by what he was offering it was not what they expected it was not what they wanted and so they began to grumble at his offer of free food and drink the message of the text for us today is feast by faith on the life-giving person and work of christ it is by faith that we feast on the life-giving person and work of jesus christ in other words trust his life and his death for you and your soul's salvation. Would you stand with me if you are able this morning in reverence for the reading? God's holy words, we look together, John chapter 6. I'll be starting at verse 41. These words were written by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Father, again we come before you in Jesus' name with hearts that are, that are humbled. God, that you would indeed love us. Um, that you would indeed send your son, Jesus Christ, to be the bread of life that would sustain us, that would save us and satisfy us. Father, we come today with a sense of expectation because we know that when you are near and when you speak through your word, we know there is power. And so we pray that the power of God would be unleashed today. Lord, as we come to your word and we come with hearts that are opened up, God, to receive what you have for us, Lord, help us understand what is written here. 
and help us embrace it and help us live it out and practice it so that not only would we receive the bread of life and live so that we would take that saving message of Jesus with us and others may live as well. Father, speak to us, we pray, as we humble ourselves before you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It amazes me sometimes that the uh, text of Scripture that we have seems to uh, fall at just the right moment. And, de- and today is one of those occasions. This is a perfect text for celebrating the Lord's Supper. And you might think that I tried to schedule that, but honestly I did not. But as I was looking through the Gospel of John and and tracing our weeks that were coming up and thinking about uh, Christmas and thinking about New Year and and then also thinking about the first Sunday in January that I knew we'd be celebrating the Lord's Supper, I I saw the way this was unfolding and uh, continually stand amazed at God's uh, provision for us. But as we remember what's going on in this chapter, John chapter 6, the, these events are unfolding around uh, the holiday of Passover. This is where the Jews remember what had happened um, over a thousand of years ago whenever Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, across uh, the, the Red Sea and, and brought them through the wilderness. And, and God fed His people with manna from heaven and sustained them until they entered into the Promised Land. And so that season, that holiday, and the Jews were, were celebrating that, and, and that's when these events unfold. And it shows for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that very celebration. Amen. He's the one who came not only to, to liberate us from, from physical bondage, but spiritual bondage, to bring us through to the promised land of glory in heaven. He is the true deliverer. And, and that's what's going on in this chapter we saw already that Jesus fed the 5,000 that were there, uh, 5,000 men plus the women and children with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. We saw him uh, walking on the water in the, midst, in the middle of the night in the midst of the storm and coming to his disciples to, to rescue them. And then we have seen him begin to teach this bread of life discourse, this, this teaching about who he is and what he has come to do. And, and the, the key theme throughout this chapter is to believe, to exercise faith, to see Him for who He really is. And, and the signs, the miracles that He performs are, are meant to, to drive us to saving faith, to, to trust Him with our eternal destiny. And that's the theme of this chapter. But another underlying current that we find throughout, especially this section of John's Gospel, is conflict. As the theme is to believe, there are those who who refuse to believe. And and to the point they refuse so much that they begin to to reject and they become hostile with Christ and with His message. And that's what we see unfolding today as Jesus begins to speak directly to the Jews, verse 41. And when John writes about the Jews, typically John means the the leadership, the, the religious authorities political authorities of his time. And, and one of the things that they were arguing with Jesus about, first of all, was the supernatural origin of Jesus. The supernatural origin. He'd been teaching in this chapter that he was the true bread out of heaven. And, and, and these themes are repetitive. And we said one of the reasons why they're repetitive is for emphasis. When the Bible repeats something, it wants you 
to pay attention. It's also repetitive because we're hard-headed and we need to be reminded over and over again of the truth. And we see a lot of repetition. Jesus has been teaching He is the true bread who has come down out of heaven. In other words, He is God who has come down to us. And we see that, first of all, His incarnation for humanity. His incarnation. We read in verse 41, Therefore the Jews were grumbling. Imagine that. The Jews grumbling. When you read the Old Testament and you read the book of Exodus, remember when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt and bringing them towards the promised land, they grumbled over and over, just an ungrateful lot. And we say, those, those Jews, they were, so, uh, they were so selfish. Those Jews, they, they were so unappreciative. And then we look in the mirror and we say, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's me too. And so they were grumbling, and what were they grumbling about? They were grumbling because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They said, wait a minute, you say you come down out of heaven, but we know who your parents are, Jesus. Verse 42, the son of Joseph. We, we know who your father and mother are. We, we know. We know who you truly are. We know your father. And so they begin to grumble and say, how are you the bread who has come down out of heaven? But in reality, that's exactly who he is. Remember John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just because He was fully man did not mean He was not also fully divine. He was God with us, Emmanuel. So even though He had a divine supernatural origin, through the incarnation He took on flesh and became one of us. And we see next His intention with humanity. Why did, why did Jesus become flesh? What was his purpose? Verse 43, he answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, why do you want to grumble? I've come to raise you up. I've come to rescue you. My intentions are, are, are not to, to come and be a, a political leader and, and to be a, a military deliverer, I've come to raise you up on the last day. Why on earth would you grumble about these things? Do not grumble. The hero is here. And then Jesus says in verse 44, no one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus is telling them, on your own initiative, you're not going to embrace this truth. On your own initiative, you're not going to just believe on your own. Something miraculous has to happen. Something supernatural needs to take place inside of you in order for you to come to Christ, in order for you to believe. He says, no one can come to me unless... There's a restriction there. Unless this happens... This will not happen unless the Father who sent me draws you. No one can come to me. And it's not the first time John's talking about this, this divine initiative of God, this intention of God. We see already in verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Again in verse 39, This is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me, I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. There is something that God above is doing in the hearts of these people in order to bring them to Christ or to give them to Christ. 
Reminds us what took place back in chapter 3 also. Remember chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, there's that word again, something must take place. Unless one is born again, or one is born from above, one is born from God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And again in chapter 3, verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. His intention is to come and save humanity. His intention is to come and fulfill the will of God and the purpose of God. The Father sent Jesus on a specific mission and He sovereignly brings it to pass and Christ will succeed in raising up the people of God on the last day. And when you see this verse, no one could come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In some ways, it mirrors what we read later on in chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And here in this verse, Jesus said, no one comes to me but by the Father. So it's the Father's will that those who come to Jesus will be saved. It's the Father's will to send Jesus to save those whom the Father has given to Jesus. You can't come to the Father unless you come through Jesus. You can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws you. The Father draws you. It's the image of, of water in a, in a well, and that water is not going to just jump up into the bucket. You've got to reach in. You've got to draw that water out, and that's what God does for a lost and dying humanity. God draws his people out, gives us to Christ. We come to him then by faith in our response, and we are saved. His intention with humanity. And also we see verse 45 and 46, his illumination, his illumination to humanity. He shines the light uh, of, of who God is on humanity, and he does that by referencing the written word in verse 45, and then emphasize that Jesus himself is the living word. He is the word that came from God. He says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets. So Jesus is referring to what was written in the Old Testament prior to his arrival. And the Old Testament foreshadows the coming of Christ. It's written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Jesus said, everyone who truly understands what's been written, everyone who has been taught by God, by the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Old Testament, everyone who has been taught and has learned from the Father comes to me. And interestingly enough, he's is, he is referencing here Isaiah 54, 13. It's a, it's a text, it's a prophecy about the Messiah, about, about the Savior that God would send and how the Messiah would, would teach and the Messiah would instruct God's people. And then Jesus takes it a step further in verse 46, and in essence calling himself the Messiah, he says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. And he is there again referencing what John already wrote in chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has seen God at any time except he who is from God. He has explained him. Chapter 1, verse 18, and Jesus says, I am the living word. God's, God's written word foreshadows my arrival. I am the one who teaches who, true, who God truly is. 
We want to know who God is, and we want to know what God is all about. We look to Christ. He has come to save us by His grace, His illumination to humanity. And finally, we see His invitation to humanity. It's got a supernatural origin. He takes on flesh in the incarnation. His intention is to save and to do the will of the Father. And then He shines the light upon who God is and what God is all about. And then He invites. He invites. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes has eternal life. He who has faith, He who trusts in who God is, and He who trusts in whom God has sent, He who believes has eternal life. And he says, I am the bread of life. We talked about that statement last week, and here he repeats it. I am the the Old Testament, the Old Covenant name of God. I am. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. That was a, a temporary solution to their physical hunger. They ate of that manna, and then they died. That manna did not give eternal life. But he said, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So in this invitation, he's saying, come and eat. Come and eat the bread that God has offered. Come and believe what God has done and come and accept that free gift of God that gives life. The Old Testament manna that satisfied the physical needs, that did not give eternal life. The things of this earth do not give eternal life. It is only that which is from above that grants immortality and life forever. Only that which comes from above. And that's His invitation. Come and receive this free gift. God is extending, holding out His hand and saying, Believe in Him whom I have sent believe and have eternal life from the hand of God Himself. Heard the old expression before, don't bite the hand that feeds you. I was talking to a friend of mine this week I hadn't seen in a while and he said, of all things, his cat bit him on the hand recently. And it's kind of funny, but you think about it, he said it got infected and began to get septic and he had to spend a couple of nights in the hospital because his own pet, his own cat, bit him and it got into his bloodstream and was infected. Not appreciating the source of our sustenance. Not biting the hand that feeds you. And here is God Almighty extending to us the bread of life and saying, take and eat and live. And the Jews grumble and say, we don't want that. We want our bellies filled. We want comfort. We want political deliverance. We, we want our freedoms. We want happiness in this life. Don't come to me talking about this eternal life stuff. Give me what I want now and here. They were grumbling over the supernatural origin of Jesus. They were biting the hand that was seeking to feed them. They were also grumbling over the sacrificial objective. The sacrificial objective of Jesus. Why? Why did He take on flesh? Why did He come to those who received Him not? Why? Why would God go through all of these great lengths? He came to save. And and how? How will God bring that about? 
through the ministry of Christ. First of all, His atoning ministry. Atoning to pay for, to purchase. His atoning ministry. Verse 51, He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. He says, God is offering you bread that will give you eternal life. I am that bread. I am the living bread. I have come down out of heaven. Despite what you see as my, as my natural origins, I am the bread of life. I am God in flesh. I have come down. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. His ministry is to, to give eternal life. To die. A death that will give eternal life. It's a voluntary death. Verse 51 tells us voluntary the bread also which I will give. I will give. It's a free gift. He willingly laid down his life on the cross. Brother Frank's not here this morning, but I'll brag on him. When he, when he prays, one of the things he, he emphasizes in his prayers is that, is that, Lord, you freely laid down your life. No one took it from you. You, you willingly went into Jerusalem and you went to the cross suffered and died for our sins. It's a voluntary death that, that God displays His sacrificial love for us as sinners that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A sacrificial death, a, a voluntary death, a substitutionary death. What He says in verse 51, the bread also which I will give freely, voluntarily, I will give. Jesus went to the cross voluntarily for the life of the world. So when Christ went to the cross, He went to the cross as a substitute for sinners. Even though He knew no sin, God made Him sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So when Christ went to the cross, He went to the cross in your place to offer you His righteousness to forgive you of your sin and my sin and all that we have done in rebellion against our Creator. Christ went to the cross and He died for that. He died in your place as your substitute. We call that substitutionary atonement. He paid your penalty for you. You had a massive debt. You can never pay it off. And freely, He paid it for you. A balanced transfer. Your debt went to Him. His perfection goes to you by faith. Just trusting in Him. You don't earn that. You don't deserve it. You can't work yourself into that. You just receive it. It's a free gift. The hand is extended. The bread of life is there. And Jesus says, Take and eat and you will live. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that caused another hang-up for them. His atoning ministry was also his aggravating ministry. His aggravating ministry, you would say, wait a minute, Jesus, he aggravates? Yes. He irritates. He, he drives us out of our complacency. He reveals to us our need, and then he divides those who would receive him and those who will not receive him. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Don't think that I come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He came to divide humanity. 
Those who would humbly receive Him and His grace versus those who refuse them and spend eternity in hell. It's an aggravating and irritating thing for someone to come to you and say, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And you can't do nothing about that. But all you need to do is just cast yourself upon the mercy of God and say, God, save me, Lord, please save me. I am a sinner. I can't save myself. People are self-righteous. They don't want to be told that. That you're wrong, you're broken, you can't fix yourself. Only God can do that. It's aggravating. It's irritating. It's why the gospel message is, 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 is so divisive. People say it's not loving. People say it's, it's exclusive. People will say it's hateful to tell someone they're sick and they're dying of cancer and there's no cure except for one. Well, that's mean. Is it really? It's an aggravating ministry. We see a negative response from the Jews. The Jews, those who, who were experts in God's Word, those who were religious, those who should know better, they began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're like, ew, it's gross. You see, they were still stuck on the earthly. They wanted earthly food for their earthly bellies. They wanted earthly deliverance for their earthly needs. They weren't even thinking on the spiritual and the eternal plane. And so when Jesus speaks about his flesh in a sacrificial way, and his death on the cross for their sin, they were still stuck on physical eating. They said, his flesh. How can this man do that? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you and the authority that he had this is truth he is saying you better listen to what I'm about to say unless there's that word again you see the gospel work of Jesus Christ is exclusive unless the negative aspect unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in yourself unless the Son of Man, that's, that's his favorite term to refer to his role as, as the Messiah. He is the one who has come from God. He is the one to be the sacrifice of God. The Son of Man. And unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He come, He's come to die, and unless we receive of that death, we have no life. Then he speaks about the positive response, verse 54. On the other hand, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The positive response, the person and the work of Jesus. Now we can see from these statements how people who had an earthly interpretation, how they might go down the wrong path. It's one of the reasons why the early Christians were accused of the Romans of being cannibals. Because they're talking about eating some man's flesh and talking about drinking some man's blood. That's disgusting. These people are cannibals. This is a cult. You should not join this cult of Christianity because they'll make you eat human flesh. They'll make you drink human blood. And this is one of the texts, unfortunately, that other Christian groups have gotten so off track when it comes to the Lord's Supper. 
They fail to see the symbolism in this and think that when you take of the Lord's Supper, you are literally eating flesh. You literally become to the point where you're drinking blood, and Jesus is not saying that at all. So what is he saying? Eating my flesh and drinking my blood is disgusting. What's he mean by that? He says, if you do this, you have eternal life. What did he say earlier in the chapter, verse 40? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Seeing Jesus for who He is, trusting Jesus for what He has done, that's eternal life. Then verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. He who has faith has eternal life. So what's he saying in verse 54? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's a metaphor for saying whoever beholds the Son of God in His glory and believes in who He is and what He has come to do, he who beholds and believes the truth about Jesus will have eternal life. Eating His flesh, drinking His blood, trusting in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus on the cross. That's what he's talking about. And he's using metaphor. He's using this drastic terminology to to draw this imagery here. To believe in who he is and his shed blood on the cross. And if we will do that according to verse 54, he will raise us up on the last day. He finishes the job. He's done everything. He's died on the cross. He will raise up His church. And all we've got to do is believe. And God will draw us to Christ. And in His drawing, there is beholding and there is believing because there is belonging. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life. There's no salvation unless you have faith in Christ who He is and what He has done. But then we also take that eating metaphor and and we see not only His atoning ministry, His aggravating ministry, but finally His abiding ministry, abiding. In other words, He came to die for us. He also came to live in us. Abiding, remaining. And that's the imagery we see in this text here. He says, My flesh, verse 55, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The old saying is, you are what you eat. Right? You eat something, it becomes a part of you. You absorb it. It becomes one with you, physically. And that's what he's saying in verse 55. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. He lives in me. He remains in me and I in him. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become one with him. We are in Christ. But Christ is also in us. In us. The eating imagery that Christ is in us and becomes one of us. We become, we, become, we become part of Him. We abide with Him. He abides in us. His living presence. His living presence. He is God in the flesh. And His presence remains in us via the Holy Spirit. 
And then jump down to verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now remember the, the, the back story in this chapter. He fed people in the wilderness uh, next to the Sea of Galilee. He then walks on water back to uh, the western side, the western coast of the city of Capernaum. The crowd the next day tries to find him. He's not there anymore. And so, so they sail over to Capernaum and they, they find him in this discourse, this discussion takes place. And we're told here at the end of this, verse 59, it was in the synagogue. It's kind of like, why did John wait to the end? It's like burying the lead. Why didn't he tell us at the beginning that they found him in the synagogue and then this discussion took place? What is the synagogue? The synagogue is a place where, where God's people and the Jews in the Old Covenant would, would gather and, and worship, where they would seek the presence of God. And here Jesus said, I'm the bread of, of heaven. I've come down. And now he is saying, I am the presence of God. And John's like, oh yeah, by the way, they were in the synagogue where the presence of God was supposed to be spiritually there. The presence of God stood in bodily form. The abiding presence of God, the, the, the living presence of God was with them. They were looking upon God Himself. They were listening to God Himself. And they were rejecting God Himself. They wanted more. But then we also see His lasting permanence, verse 57, 58. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Remember they were saying earlier, we, we know your father. You're, you're Joseph's boy. We know your father. He says, I've come from the father. I've come from above. The living father sent me. God above, he sent me, and I live because of the father. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus is the, he's the life giver. He is the life bringer. And he is saying here in verse 57, if you eat of me, you will live. True life is in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from Christ, you have no life. If you eat of earthly things, you will live temporarily, but then you will die. If you eat of Christ spiritually, you will live forever because he is the life giver. Verse 58 this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. That was temporary fix. But he who eats of this bread of Jesus Christ, whoever receives him by faith, whoever beholds him as the living Son of God and believes in his sacrificial death on a cross for you, he who eats of this bread of Jesus and his message will live forever. The only way to eternal life. He is the true bread. He is the true drink. And therefore, we must feast by faith on the life giving person and work of Christ. It's by faith we come to Him, by faith, by faith we feast on the life giving person and work of Christ. We trust His death for us. Like many of you, uh, as the calendar turns over, we begin a new, um, a new chapter, a new endeavor to read through the Bible. You know, some have a cover-to-cover -cover Bible reading plan. You know, some have a little bit of old, a little bit of new. Uh, whatever you do in your Bible, just get in the Bible. 
Even if it takes you longer than a year to finish it, who cares? It's not a race. It's not a competition. You can read it through in a year. If you put forth a little bit of effort and the consistency, you can do it. But I began reading in, in Genesis yesterday on January the 1st, first chapter and second chapter, and we see in the early part of Genesis, God creates man, puts him in the garden, and then God gives him free food. He says, you can eat of anything in the garden. I gave you all this stuff, all these fruits and all these, these vegetables. You can eat any of it. Free food. Just don't eat of that one tree. Don't eat that one fruit. Man had free food offered to him and he was not satisfied. And he took of the forbidden fruit and brought the curse of sin and death into creation. Free food wasn't enough. They remember in the book of Exodus, God, through Moses, brings the children of Israel through the wilderness. They're hungry and give us something to eat. God gives free food. Manna from above. They wake up in the morning and there's bread on the ground and they eat it. And it sustains them. And what they do, they begin to grumble and we want some meat. Not enough. We want more. We want more. God, give us more. We see Jesus feeding the 5,000. Five loaves, two fish. And then he says, believe in me. And they say, what will you do as a sign so that we may see and believe? It wasn't enough. They wanted more. You fed us yesterday. We're hungry again. Feed us again. And, and the story we see running throughout Scripture is God giving free food to His people and His people grumble and say, we want more. And here today, Christ is extending to you the bread of life and He's saying, take and eat, take and drink, take and live. And we somehow say, yeah, we want Jesus plus we want everything this world has to offer too. We want our comforts. We want our popularity. We want, we want power. We want position. And, and, and we want all these things too because Jesus ain't enough. Well, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's enough. The bread of life satisfies. The bread of life sustains. The bread of life saves. And He's offering it to you. Will you be like those consistently through Scripture who say, yeah, but no thanks. I want more. Or will you take and eat? Take and drink? Will you partake of the provision that paid your price? It's a free gift. From heaven, undeserved, not earned, God is giving it. He's saying, here, here it is. Take it, eat it. Take and eat what I offer. Will you take? Will you partake of the provision, what's been given to you, and what paid your price? Jesus, his death, his resurrection for you. Will you receive by faith? Will you come to him and receive free food and drink? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gracious gift of Jesus Christ that gracious gift that saves free food free drink it cost us nothing but Lord it cost you everything it cost you your life but you freely willingly laid down your life 
for us in our place, even though you were innocent, you died for us so that we might be forgiven and so that we might live forever. I don't know what more we could want than that free gift, that food and that drink that is Christ. I pray today each and every person within the sound of my voice will take and eat by faith, that will take and drink by faith of the life and the death of Jesus so that they too might live. Holy Spirit, draw us each to Christ, we pray in His holy name. Amen. Everyone please stand at this time as we have our hymn.